What does a new lead pastor preach for his first sermon? There's a lot that could be chosen, and many passages could be selected that would be appropriate. Um, But I would like to do, for the rest of August, three Sundays, a short series entitled Ministry Affirmed. Not mission accomplished, but mission affirmed. In looking at just a few points of what it looks like to pursue an entirely biblical ministry. We have three divinely inspired, breathed out letters written specifically for ministry in a local church context. That's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Other letters address ministry. 1 Corinthians addresses ministry. Ephesians, many of the letters do that. But these are written specifically to men in ministry, Timothy and to Titus. These men found themselves in difficult situations. It almost seems as though on occasion, Timothy had wanted to give up. I think any man in ministry for a long enough period of time enters into that struggle of wanting to give up and to walk away and maybe just deliver packages for FedEx. That's a real struggle as I talk with every other minister and preacher and pastor and missionary. There's a very real internal struggle that happens that is unseen to many other people. Paul is writing to these kind of men. And we have his words in these three letters. Timothy was at Ephesus. Titus was on the island of Crete. Paul left both of them. They're engaged in ministry alone. One is told to put things in order because they're not in order. The other one is told to affirm other elders because there are no other elders. Not dissimilar to maybe where we find ourselves as a church. Maybe we're farther along. But as we look towards this next year, five years, ten years of ministry together, what should that look like? Some might call it a replant. Some might call it a rebuild. Some might just call it continuing on in faithful ministry. But what should it look like? Well, as Paul penned 2 Timothy, his life was about to end. You heard, as Kevin read those words, Paul says that his departure is at hand. That's a euphemism for Paul saying, I'm about to die. And he's aware of it. Look at 2 Timothy 4.6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, a reference to an Old Testament sacrifice as part of worship. And the time of my departure has come. The apostle is about to die. And what he's doing is preparing Timothy to carry on the work of the gospel. Now what is meant as an encouragement to Timothy, Timothy certainly did not want to lose the apostle Paul, but what is meant as an encouragement to Timothy in ministry in a difficult context is also intended to be an encouragement to you and me in ministry in a difficult context. Mission affirmed, and the first one is preach the Word. That's really where Paul takes his instruction to Timothy in the final chapter of his final letter. This is the charge. This is the command that sort of jumps out at you. Now, 
Immediately, you may ask, well, preach the word. What would that have to do with me this morning? I've never preached. I don't intend on preaching. And that is a good question. It's actually a healthy question. And I hope to answer that, what this charge, what this admonition has to do with you personally, even though preaching lands upon myself as the lead pastor and the rest of the elder team primarily. What does preach the word have to do with you? It's a great question. First, turn back to 1 Corinthians 4. Because Paul was motivated by something. His entire ministry, if you would say mission affirmed, Paul's entire ministry was motivated by one thing primarily. Look at 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5. Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Look at the next sentence. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll read verse verses 9 to 10. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, Paul says, We make it our aim to please Him. I'm jumping right down into the middle of the verse. We make it our aim to please Him. Well, why? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done. Go forward to chapter 10. 2 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 18. Again, this theme keeps surfacing in Paul as he talks about mission affirmed. He is seeking the approval of one. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, verse 18. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. What kind of person and what kind of ministry does God affirm? What does he commend? Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now what I love about Paul's last letter and the close of his last letter, remember letters like your and my letters that we write don't have chapter divisions in verses. It's simply a letter. But what is interesting about chapter 4 in his final letter, if you look at verses 9 to 21, just glance at that. Just look down and start to let the names of people jump off the page. And what you'll notice is how many people Paul mentions at the end of his life. More than 17 people are named in this chapter. And he, and he mentions the good, the bad, and the ugly. He mentions Demas, who's forsaken him because he loves this present world. That's a real temptation in ministry. He mentions Alexander the coppersmith who opposed Paul's preaching, his teaching. Heartbreak and opposition leap off this final chapter. But the majority are co-laborers. Prisca and Aquila, Titus and Luke. I love what Paul does here. He shows that ministry partnerships should be forged and valued. And as I think about Highlands and as I think about as we move forward into the next season of ministry together, I believe 
we are in danger in some ways of becoming or remaining an island, isolated. An island on the corner of County Line and South Clarkson and East Phillips and this row of houses behind us. Here at the end of his life, Paul starts to go through and he mentions name after name after name of ministry partnerships. For the sake of Christ, church-wide and city-wide and worldwide. And so we need to pray with wisdom and discernment and with strategy in mind to link arms with others for the sake of the Gospel. Who is that? Who is that? So that we don't start to just lose coastline and become smaller and smaller and smaller and sort of in kind of self-fixation proclaim that we are the only ones that have the truth in South Denver. But ministry partnerships for effective ministry getting the gospel to those who don't have it. That's really what leaps off the pages of 2 Timothy chapter 4. These people that helped Paul along the way and now he's got Timothy over there and he's got Titus over there and he's got this house church you know, meeting in different locations. But the other thing that stands out is not just the people, but God's Word. Paul mentions God's Word several times. In chapter 3, he says, Timothy, you are acquainted with the sacred writings. And Paul's referring to the Old Testament. He uses the term Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God. He talks about healthy teaching and truth. And really what Paul has just done if you talk about this as the famous last words of the Apostle Paul, what he has just projected before us is the Word of God and people. Do you know the only two things that you get to interact with every day that will live forever? That this morning you are already interacting with two things that will live forever. And it's really the only two things people, people's souls, and the Word of God. And so our attention and our energy and our resources and our time and other resources should be spent towards people and the Scriptures. Look back at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. He tells Timothy this, "...continue in what you have learned." It's possible that even though Timothy became a believer at a young age because of his mother and his grandmother and was acquainted, it's possible to be like Demas who walks away from it. And so he says, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Well, what is that exactly? Look at verse 15. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. Paul's referring to the 39 books of the Old Testament. Even those books proclaim Christ. Those books alone lead people to salvation. I love it. It's the ongoing flow of the redemptive narrative from Genesis to Revelation that unfolds in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. Look what he says next. They make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Of course, the familiar verse, 
All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. See, that's what Scripture does. And that's why Paul is pointing Timothy back to Scripture. And what is the primary, if you would, activity that flows out from Paul telling Timothy to do these things? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Remember, there's no chapter breaks in this letter. And look at what he says. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Quickly, moving through these first five verses of 2 Timothy 4, you'll notice first that Paul calls two witnesses. This is classic Old Testament courtroom, if you would. It is a legal assembly, and what Paul is doing is he is solemnly charging Timothy in a type of legal setting with two witnesses to carry on gospel ministry. These two witnesses, you'll notice, look, I charge you in the presence of first witness. Who is it? God. And of second witness, who is it? Christ Jesus. And what you see here is a beautiful motivation, not just for preaching, but for all of ministry. Our audience, first and foremost, is an audience of one, God. And these two witnesses, God and Christ Jesus, are meant to motivate. And let me ask you, does that motivate you? Does that motivate you to serve well? To serve effectively? I love how a child acts when his parents are out of the room. And then when all of a sudden the parents show up on the scene, what, what changes? Almost everything. Right? Everything changes in the child's behavior. Why? Because the father or the mother is there and watching. There's an accountability You know what the problem with this accountability is sometimes? It's invisible. And it takes faith. And with everything physical and immediate and tangible clamoring for our attention, it's easy to lose sight that we live and minister and preach with God's eye on us and Christ Jesus' eye on us. Often we see God recorded in a distant ancient text rather than God in the land of the living as we live out our story together as Highlands. Ministry, whether others see it or not, would take on new meaning if we heard these words afresh in our soul. I charge you, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. But see, invisibility requires faith. And that's what pleases God. We walk by faith, not by sight. So preaching in really all of life and ministry is performed in the view of Christ's return. I like what Lewis Allen said, No text is ever properly handled if people aren't led into its truth that Jesus is center stage in God's drama. And often we get right to the 
charge of preaching and we overlook three things that Paul mentions in 2 Timothy 4.1. I want you to look at those. Look at 2 Timothy 4.1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Here's a motivation. Who is to judge the living and the dead. And by His, secondly, appearing. And third, His kingdom. Judgment is intended to be a motivation. For example, Romans 14.12, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. But there's this fearful text for preachers and teachers that comes out of James. I want, I want to read it for you. James 3.1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The young preacher once was complaining to Charles Spurgeon, the famous British preacher. And Spurgeon had thousands, and this man had a very small congregation, and he was complaining that he did not have as big of a church as he deserved. Well, how many do you preach to, Spurgeon asked. Oh, about a hundred. I love Spurgeon's response. He wisely said, that will be enough to give account for on the day of judgment. So often we evaluate a ministry based upon the seeming success and largeness of others rather than what God affirms. And where mission is affirmed, we have to value the things that God values. But before we even get to the activity of it, we need to bring one another back into an awareness that we are charged before God and Christ Jesus who will judge. And I will give an account and you will give an account. And we will be judged by His appearing and that is a reference to His return. It's actually a term that was used for a Roman emperor's visit. And before the emperor arrived, kind of like yesterday at our workday, Everybody was busy cleaning up and trimming limbs and tidying up so that when the emperor arrived, things were in order. What Paul is saying to Timothy is, Timothy, I'm going to charge you at Christ's appearing. He's coming. So work in a way that pleases Him. And then he says, kingdom. And that actually is intended to provide hope. God's kingdom is about God's power. It's about God's presence. It's about righteousness. No longer will we live in a dark, evil, unjust, and crumbling world. But we will, we will have the joys of living in a new kingdom. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, don't give up. Timothy, stir up those coals that are within your heart. Remember when they laid hands on you, the gifts that are in you, and use those for God's glory. And I'm going to charge you to carry on this ministry based upon His appearing and His kingdom. And when He comes, He is going to judge. See, that's the seriousness of what we do. That's the seriousness of what we do when we gather and when we scatter into this city. Now notice the charge. He's brought in the witnesses and the motivation but look at the charge. Look at verse 2. Simply preach the Word. The term preach, and this is what makes it 
a little different than teaching, is to herald or to proclaim. Right? It's the, it's the common picture of when a, a, a country would go off to war and if they would win, they would send a herald ahead and he would run from small town to small town and he simply had a basic message. Victory is ours. And then he would run to the next little town or the next little city and he would herald this and proclaim it. He would run from point to point to point. Interestingly, this is what Jonah did in Nineveh. He started at one end of the city and it took him three days to herald a message throughout that huge city of Nineveh. In Hebrew, according to Jonah, it was a five-word sermon. It did not include anything about God's grace. It was entirely a message of judgment. And yet God used Jonah's preaching to bring about the largest revival in history. He heralded it. I once heard the difference between teaching and preaching. When a teacher is done, people say, I understand that. I get it. That's clear. And when a preacher is done, people are motivated to say, I want to live that. I want to do that. Preach the Word. Why is preaching so important? Why do I believe, as a non-negotiable of ministry sort of principles, that preaching should have a, a, a central part in the local church's gathering? Go back to Romans chapter 10. Turning your scriptures to Romans 10. As, we, as, as Timothy is told to preach the Word, I want you to see the importance of this connected to the purpose of preaching. Romans chapter 10, Paul is, is moving through a logical argument. And he asks a series of questions. In Romans 10.14... How then will they call on Him, on Jesus, the Messiah, in whom they have not believed? Well, you can't. That's Paul's point. And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And what's the answer? Well, they can't. And how are they to hear without someone, what's the next word? Preaching. And then Paul says this, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, so he's going to quote from the Old Testament, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Well, what is the good news? What is the message that should be heralded? And with that, I'm going to invite you to turn back to Isaiah 52. Because Romans... 10 verse 16 sort of points us to the Old Testament answer, but it doesn't really answer it. Matter of fact, while you're turning back to Isaiah 52, I'll read Romans 10 16 where it says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And really, if you were to evaluate and assess Isaiah's ministry, by today's standards, you would consider Isaiah a failure. But he was approved by God because he was faithful in the proclamation of this message. Look at Isaiah 52, verse 7. This is the gospel according to Isaiah. 
How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news. That's the verse Paul quoted in Romans 10. Well, what does that good news contain? Who publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness. Who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Now that's, folks, that's good news. Think about that. Peace. Happiness and salvation, and it all sort of boils down to three words. Your God reigns. The kingship of Jesus Christ, Lord in their heart. Matter of fact, Paul's going to say that in Romans. That if you call out to the Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. If in your heart you cry out, Lord. Matter of fact, Thomas, after he doubted, remember he protested, I will never believe unless I see the proofs. And what does he do when he sees Jesus? He hasn't even touched the wounds in his hand or felt the side yet. And what does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. When you make that confession, you have peace and happiness and salvation. That's preaching the Gospel. Cotton Mather, the old Puritan New England preacher, said this, the great design and intention of the office of a Christian preacher is to restore the throne and dominion of God in the souls of men. Do you know when we are at peace and when we are the happiest is when the Lord is reigning in our heart. That's the good news. So if you go back to Romans 10, verse 17, this is what Paul will say in Romans 10, 17 after he quotes Isaiah 52. He says this, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So this reign moves towards Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. There's a beautiful principle as Jesus walks the road of Emmaus as He's talking with two men who don't recognize Him and that's by God's design. And it says in Luke 24, He says to these two men, O foolish ones, it's a mild rebuke. I don't, think he's, I don't think he's being sharp. He's like, oh, foolish ones. They, they were simply rehearsing to Jesus the events that just took place, not realizing He was the risen Christ. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? and enter into His glory. Now, at that point, anything Jesus said could have been Scripture. He's the Son of God. He's the Word incarnate. But do you know what Jesus does? And beginning with Moses and all the... He goes back to the Old Testament. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them. He exposited to them. He explained to them 
In all the Scriptures, the things concerning Himself, do you know where the Son of God went to bring clarity to these two men? To the Scriptures. And He explained to them the things concerning Himself. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. You see a similar picture in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. For sake of time, I'll just read it. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra stands to read the book of the law. And all the people gathered as one man. They're all together, grouped together, into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, just reading the law. That's a long sermon. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose, and beside him stood 13 other men, They're all named in this passage. And they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. Now listen to what they did. And they gave all the men, not just Ezra, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Why? Because there's life in the Word of God. Why? Because Jesus went back to Moses and all the Scriptures and He showed to them the things concerning Himself. Why? Because the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What in the world is going to counteract the forces against our children's souls? The nonstop access to a device that is indoctrinating them. Little two-second glimpses at a time with complete indoctrination. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces in such a way that it divides soul from spirit. There is nothing in the world that can divide like that. Timothy, preach the Word. Herald Christ. There is a cultural urgency to preaching. I want you to see this. Look at verse 2 of 2 Timothy 4. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. And that is not, that, by the way, that is not primarily a command to lazy preachers who failed to study the week before. This is the idea of you need to herald and proclaim Christ when there's two people or 2,000 people, when it's popular and when it's not popular, when it's received with gladness and when people pick up stones to throw at you, Stephen preached the Word in Acts 7. Timothy preached the Word. Reprove. That's to gently correct and align. Rebuke. That is a very sharp stop. Cease. And exhort, that's to come along and encourage and comfort and affirm and do this with what attitude and what action? With complete patience. And here it is again with teaching. 
Your preaching should involve patience and teaching. Why? Here's the cultural urgency. Look at verse 3. For the time is coming. And folks, that time is here. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. It does take endurance to listen to a 40-minute monologue in our culture. But the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate. They will heap up for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We have even a generation of evangelical Christians who are more excited to read their horoscope or check their personality type through their zodiac sign than they are to to read a single chapter of God's Word. But that doesn't mean we stop preaching it. And it doesn't mean we stop sharing it. We preach the Word ready in season, out of season, with complete patience and teaching. Why with great patience? Listen to Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in faithful love. When we work the Gospel deeply into our own hearts and then we proclaim with authority His words, what makes that look like Christ is that we do it with complete and total patience and with teaching. There's a reason for what we believe 2 Peter 3.15, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Aren't you thankful for God's patience? Aren't you thankful that when Peter goes and says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? I mean, that seems like a lot. Aren't you glad God didn't give up on you after seven times of failing at the same thing? No, I say to you 70 times 7, because if you can get that far, 490, you probably stopped counting. And the idea is God has to extend to you His mercy and His compassion and great patience every day. And if you don't think He has to, He just extended you His grace again. And when you show that to other people, do you know what you're showing them? The complete patience of God the Father who is waiting on them and wooing them and inviting them to come to Him. Preach because we are called to minister in a time when preaching is out of season. It is not popular and it is not convenient. Jeremiah said of the people of Judah of his day in Jeremiah 5 verse 30, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in this land. The prophets give false prophecies. And the priests rule with an iron hand. I mean, you could fill in names in our culture in that verse. And Paul would. Paul would say, Alexander. And he would just go through with different names. The prophets give false prophecies and the priests rule with an iron hand. Worse yet, my people like it that way. But what will you do when the end comes? God asks. Timothy, I charge you, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge at His appearing and at His kingdom. As opposed to the popular ear-scratchers, look at verse 5 and then we'll conclude. As for you, Timothy, as opposed to 
the popular preachers of the day that are deceiving people, you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Martin Luther said of his part in the Reformation, he said this, I simply taught, preached, wrote God's Word, otherwise I did nothing. I did nothing. The Word did it all. I did nothing. I left it to the Word. But it brings Satan distress when we only spread the Word and let it alone do the work. Now, I want you to notice how this section is bookended. Look at verses 6 to 7. I'm just going to read it. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Those were Paul's last words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved, and he brings back in this motivation, his appearing. Do you know that what Paul says about preaching in 2 Timothy 4 could be said about all ministry engaged at both in this church and outside in our communities? Let me give you one example. Peter says this in 1 Peter. God has given each of you, everyone in here, a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Everyone in here has been, every believer in here has been gifted by the Holy Spirit. Peter then says this, use them. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God Himself were speaking through you. Matter of fact, the King James says, speak as the oracles of God. Do you have the gift of helping others? And some of you do. I've watched you. I've observed you. Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. That's the audience of one. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. So how are you using your gift? You have clearly and kindly and affirmatively called me back to be your lead pastor. I understand, according to 1 Timothy 5, that I will labor in preaching and teaching. I will do many other things, but I will labor in that. But every member must minister. If you're teaching children, then you do it with the strength God provides, or working audiovisual, or hospitality, or leading teens. I've seen small Bible studies at Pete's Coffee happening. Some of you do well listening to a wounded heart. There is serving in the nursery. There is trimming tree limbs. About 30 people congregated to do that yesterday. And you know what it showed? It showed people serving with an eye towards God and caring for His church. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God and with awareness of Him. Secondly, second application, we all must be serving somewhere, somehow for God's glory. And finally, secondly, let, let God's Word be always on your lips and in your counsel. And never shirk back from sharing a verse or a passage or an admonition with your elder team. There have been times people have shared a scripture with me that I needed at that exact right time. 
proclaim Christ through his word. And then, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, listen to this, and then I'll close in prayer. Then, each one will receive his commendation from God. Let's pray.